The lovely flowers behind me were left here yesterday by uh, the family of Walter Barge, Walter, Walter's funeral. Memorial service was here yesterday. Some of you remember Walter from years gone by. The gospel was preached, the Lord was honored, and Walter was remembered as a man who loved the word of Christ. And he did indeed. As you can imagine, it's a little bit of a, a difficult time for the Barge family. They, Walter was suffering and they are convinced that he is in a far better place now than he, he was just a couple of weeks ago when he was suffering. So, And yet still, no matter how much we understand that, it's difficult when people go and leave us. I don't know about you, but these last two to three years have been fairly difficult for me. I, without question, Linda's sickness and all of the time where she was unable to use the left side of her body before going to be with the Lord ranks at the top of my sorrow list, but there's been a lot more sorrow than just the loss of my wife in these last few years. A great deal more. But you have problems also. Big problems. I can't tell you how many times in the last few years someone has said, telling me about their problems, and then they say, but it's nothing compared to what you've gone through. Uh, If I had a dollar for every time I said that, then I would be able to retire, or if someone said that to me, I'd be able to retire to a Caribbean island where, in the words of Kenny Chesney, there's a beautiful world, of the beautiful view of the end of the world from the pier. And then he goes on to say, if I'm going to be down, I'm going to be down way down here. (laughs) But I don't want to compare your problems with my problems. Whatever the problems we're facing are big to us at the time. If you have to go through something like I did or what the Moody's are going through or, 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 or cancer like Helen and Woody and others and, or, or broken relationships which sometimes can seem to be the most devastating of all problems, then maybe you'll look back and say, well, it wasn't so big then. But right now your problem is a big problem, especially if it's significant. No wonder 50% or more of Christians consider a a book in the Old Testament as their favorite book of the Bible, the book of Psalms. When the Gideons hand you one of those little small Bibles, it's not the New Testament in Exodus or the New Testament in Isaiah. It's the New Testament in Psalms. What is the timeless and irresistible attraction that the Psalms hold for us? Uh, it's odd in, in one sense. Our, in our finely polished, surface-skimming, image-obsessed existence, it's the rawness of the Psalms that draws us there. Life is raw. No matter what attitude we project to the world, no matter what the world thinks of us about how we're dealing with the problem, life is raw and God meets us where we are in the middle of our mess. In the Psalms. Now I've quoted, and I'm using this against something else. I've quoted John Ortberg several times uh, before. When at a conference he I attended several years ago, he said that he pointed out that the that the Bible is the only religious scriptures in which the the followers of that particular religion religion complain to their God. Nobody else does that. Nobody else complains to their God. But that's interesting, isn't it? When you think about the 
series that we've just finished on the Trinity, we have learned that this is a holy and transcendent God that we must approach carefully. We can come freely because of Jesus' work, but nonetheless, we have to remember who God is and His awesome holiness and not be light when we come into His presence. And yet, we're about to begin a series in a book where the writers regularly ask, Don't you care? Do you even hear me when I pray? Why do you not answer me? Have you ever talked like that to God? Well, maybe you haven't just out loud. Perhaps it's been more of a subconscious thing. In, in, in my trials these last couple of years, I, I don't think I've actually said, God, why? But I know in my heart that question wants to form. Why now of all times? And I'm thinking about Linda more than I am me. Right now when she's coming into a place in her life where she is finally secure enough to... And we're all desperately insecure. I'm not saying anything negative about her. I think we, we just manifested in different ways our insecurities. And, and those who appear to be the least insecure, that they got everything all together, well, that's why we have the expression, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Because when we come down from that lofty place that we have put for ourselves, it's a hard fall. But Linda was finally getting to that place where she's secure enough to be free to minister to people in a way that was phenomenal. God was using her in ways that I had no idea He was using her. And then she's sick and and gone, just like that. So why is in my heart even if it's not on my lips. I don't think I'm to be commended for not speaking that way. The lesson of the book of Job is that God can handle my complaining. But the lesson is also that when I meet Him in His holiness, I realize, oh, I should have kept my mouth shut. So, you know, I try to do that, but I can't can't help but, but, but think along those lines and, and, and the psalm sort of addresses Where my heart is. God is big enough to take my complaints. And while I don't recommend shaking your fist to the heavens, certainly some of the writers of the Psalms were more than willing to share their grievances with the Lord. I don't get this, God. Why? Well, we're going to spend some time in the Psalms this summer. And as we proceed, I'm going to be talking about poetry, about music, about structure, about the different kinds of, of, of psalms that we find, such as messianic psalms and, and, and lament songs, of, psalms of lament and imprecatory psalms, which imprecatory psalms are those where writers say things like, I loathe the enemies of God. Do not I hate them with a perfect hatred. What are you going to do with that? I mean, you know, that ain't exactly love your enemy. Well, we'll see this summer. And since this is the summer of the out-of-state weddings, you'll be hearing from Sean once and David once, and probably I'll let one of them talk about the imprecatory psalms. No, not really. I would love to do that. A skeptic in the crowd. And it's not surprising at all that it comes somewhere from this section right over here. As we look at the different kinds of psalms this summer, we're going to be spending time in one of that particular genre that we're studying that day. There is one theme that we'll come back to over and over in the psalms. In fact, it's the same theme that we come to in all of Scripture. It's 
something or rather someone that we see in all of Scripture. It's Jesus. Jesus. Well, we better get going this morning and we'll begin at the beginning with Psalm 1. This psalm is considered by most who have been written specifically as an introduction to this whole book of Psalms, this Psalter, this hymn book that was used in the Old Testament and up through the early church and all the way to today. We sing the Psalms. We sang one this morning. We're going to be singing a lot this summer. The point of this first Psalm is this. If you're going to worship God, you need to do so according to His Word. You don't come on your own terms. You come according to His ways, His words, where we will find His will for our lives. Let me remind you that as we look in the Psalms, we understand God much better than those who first sang these songs. We know now that God is a trinity. And we know that all of Scripture indeed points to Jesus. In fact, as we read any Old Testament book, please keep these words in mind, these words of Jesus. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness of me, John 5, 39. That's not to say that the only lesson of Scripture is Jesus. There is instruction for our lives, certainly there. But look, don't get caught up with thinking that David and Goliath is only about slaying the giants in your life. There's more. Anytime we look in the Old Testament, we're looking to find the things that are true of the gospel all the way through the Bible. We're sinners. God is holy. We don't have a prayer of getting to Him without some way being made. And the way was made in Jesus. And that's the point of Scripture and all of the Bible. So just keep that in mind as we come to the Psalms this morning. The Spirit of God leads us to respond and obey His Word. But it's God's grace and power that enable us to live in the way that He's instructed us to in His book. With these words ringing in our hearts, would you please stand as we read Psalm 1. This morning I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. They're like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. Father, words of truth, words that draw us to you and away from ourselves and away from the ways of the world. God, we need to hear from you this morning and we need your truth to burn deep into our hearts. We pray that you would open our hearts 
and fill us full with yourself. Your word, yes, but with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks and be seated. Well, we live in a day of diversity, of, uh, of choices, of opportunity. From the very earliest days, we're told pretty much in this country, if you work hard enough in America, you can be anything you want to be. You can choose whatever profession you want. You can do what you love doing. It's a free country and it's a great place to live. And all of that's true. But we, well, it's true to some degree. I mean, we recognize fairly early along the way that we can't do just anything that we want to do in this country. In addition to that fact, we all know, or in addition to the fact of what we all know, that that we can't just do anything that we want to, we miss the point when we talk like that and when we think like that about the Scripture that we've just read. The truth is, when when we're standing at the beginning of life or at a particular point where it's a new beginning for us, there are two ways that we can go. And this is always the case. There are two ways that we can live our lives. We can live God's way or we can live the world's way, which ultimately is our way. Furthermore, we can only choose one path at a time. You can't be on both paths. Now, we do sort of tend to switch back and forth between God's way and the world's way, but ultimately we're generally heading towards God or we're heading away from God in, according to man's way. We can either live according to the wisdom that God so graciously provides for us in His Word, or we can listen to worldly vice, advice and live that way. But let's not blame it on others. It, it ultimately becomes the way that we want to live. The first word of the Psalms, of all the, of, of all the Psalms, is the word blessed or blessed. Actually, this word should be translated happy because Hebrew has a word. The Hebrew language has a specific word for blessed and it's not used here. Happy then is the person who chooses the correct way of the two ways he chooses the correct way. We're first told about the path of destruction. And happy is the person who avoids this way. Happy is the person who stays out of the world's way of life, who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. You've probably heard about people talking about the downward progression. You know, you start off walking, and then you stand, and then all of us, you find a chair, and you sit down and listen to the advice of the wicked, but that's probably making too much of what's being said. It is clear, though, that three aspects or three degrees of departure from God are being laid out for us. Our thought patterns, our behavior, and our identification are all in view when the writer is talking about our submission to the ways of the world rather than the ways of God. The Lord makes it clear that He wants us to think and act according to His ways. And we're to identify with Him, but we'll get to that in a moment. The way of this world, the wisdom of this world is limited. The way that pretty much everybody expects you to live and to think and to act, that way is limited. When we look at life without the benefit of God's wisdom, we perceive the world whether we know it or not or whether we admit it or not with cultural 
biases, personality inclinations, and even genetic predilections. We, we tend to think and act a certain way because of other forces, external forces that are ultimately opposed to God. We make judgments based on what seems best to us or what, or, or more likely what seems best to society at large. Well, this, everybody knows that. You can't live this way. You can't say that. You can't do that. You can't say that Jesus is the only way to get to heaven. Good grief. You're going to offend people if you say that. No matter what. Doesn't matter which side of the political spectrum you're on, no matter what your social affiliations, it's quite easy to be influenced by the world. What's really sad is, regardless of where we end up, we, especially those of us who are Christian and know the word a little bit, want to use the word to beat people over the head. That's not what God is saying, but He is saying, I want you to line up in the right way to think. And you can, if you're on a different side of a political spectrum than I am, then you're going to be able to make a case, most likely from the Word, why you end up there. I can make a case for where I end up there. But it's easy to be influenced by the ways of the world rather than the Word. The world's ability to provide bright lights and special effects can make its way look quite good while making God's way appear to be mean-spirited, wrong-headed, and antiquated. It's just outdated. I can't believe that you still think like that. You know, what time did you leave the cave this morning? When we read Psalm 1-1, it seems it would be easy to identify wicked, sinful, and scornful men and women. But come on, let's give them a little, little, little bit of credit. I mean, the way of the world is going to appear to be reasonable and sensible. It's going to be attractive. The problem with the way of the world is it ends in death. So what does it mean to choose the path of the world? Well, it means to view the world through the lens of obviously worldly, which is often popular thought. It means that we take our cues from people who could care less about what God says in His Word about how we should live. They, they, they may be moral and even include prayer in their personal lives, but they don't seek wisdom from the one source that tells us what God thinks and how we ought to live. His Word, and the, and the writer of the Psalms, by the way, is, is saying, this is where you're going to find wisdom. Even though life is a mess and even though it seems like it doesn't make sense, we can trust God and we know God through His Word. Well, for those who get their wisdom from some other source, let me say that they sometimes do use Scripture, but oftentimes, it's most of the time, it's out of context. They'll take a verse here or there and say, well, this is what we should think and this is how we should live because of this verse and it's completely... Missing the point. They're usually doing it to bolster their position and, and, and simply to appeal or to appease those with religious inclinations, especially in politics. You know, I'm going to say, Jesus says, forgive your enemies, therefore war is bad. Things like that. If you want to know what the way of the wicked and sinful and scornful world is, just see what's popular in academic thought and entertainment in particular. So... If the wisdom of the world, 
the spirit of the age, the the wrong way is is being fed to us through academia and through entertainment and even sometimes in business. And then should we we just avoid anything that is secular? I mean, should we should we not go to any secular educational institutions as, and, and then avoid also secular literature and entertainment? I mean, should we not watch TV? Go to movies, listen to, to, to worldly music, or, or, or read secular literature. I mean, the Apostle Paul avoided all of that stuff, didn't he? Actually, he did not at all. Paul was well-versed in the ways of the world, very much a Renaissance man. And he used, often used athletic and military metaphors to illustrate his point. I'm not sure if you know what Olympic-style games were like in that day, but I guarantee you wouldn't have taken your kids to watch those games by the, because of the way the athletes dressed or didn't. In fact, you wouldn't go yourself. Not, not in our culture today. Paul was able to speak comfortably with some of the brightest minds in the city of Athens, which frankly was the intellectual center of the Roman Empire and where the most significant philosophical thought of the day occurred. You know what? You know what's impacting our culture today? You know what? is popular uh, in the world today, is stuff that was thought about years and years ago by people who weren't really well-known at all. They were rather obscure, but they were the thinkers of the day who began to see the world in a different way. And they got their message out to the right people. And well, here we are today in a terrible, terrible spot. But Paul could talk on their level. They respected him. They said, let's hear this guy. I'm telling you, you didn't get a hearing at the Areopagus at, at, on Mars Hill there in, in Athens without a great deal of respect. Paul could speak on their level, on their level, but he didn't think like them. In fact, he tried to introduce them to another way of thinking. He said, look, I understand what you're trying to do here, but let me explain to you about God and the way that leads to life, the way of thinking that will benefit us greatly. And then at a certain point they rejected Him, or most of them did. Anyway, are you familiar with the truth of 1 Corinthians 15.33? Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. You familiar with that verse? Sounds like it would come from the Proverbs, doesn't it? It didn't. It came from a pagan Greek playwright who lived in three to 400 B.C. Look, all truth is God's truth, but that presents somewhat of a problem for us. Because when a little bit of truth is mixed in with some serious error, sometimes it's difficult to discern what is right and what is wrong. But the point I'm making with this is don't avoid secular the secular world just because you want to follow the way of God. However, there is a great danger in entering the secular world and that's what we're being told this morning. We're all made in God's image, which is why those who don't know Jesus as their Savior are quite capable of providing wonderful sacrificial service to humanity. Sometimes unbelievers outshine us. What a shame. It is a shame, but, but just don't be a, a, a thoughtless Christian who goes around saying, well, if you don't love the Lord, there's absolutely no, no good that you can do. It's not good in the sight of God. 
It's not good in the sight of God. It's not commending themselves to Him in any way because of their sin. But it's good in the sight of mankind. And when people do good things, it's because they're made in the image of God. Earlier this year, we talked about how many people in the secular world are doing exactly what they were designed to do, whether it be in academia or business or entertainment. It's easy, of course, to take what God has given us, a gift that God has given us, and misuse it. But the admonition of Psalm 1 is not the command to avoid anything unadorned with a verse of Scripture or a Bible story, which is what a lot of Christians think the Bible instructs them to do. But we must be aware of the skillful seduction that will tempt us to sin whenever we engage secular thought in any form. Satan is quite skillful. He knows how to push our buttons. He knows what to bring in front of our eyes. He knows how to take us down a wrong path. And let's face it, when we are immersed in secular thought with little time for the Word, there's no way we can help but be influenced by it. So I'm not saying avoid it, but I am saying be careful, limit the time that you spend in, in entertainment, secular entertainment and literature and, and academia because you will be influenced by it if you're not careful. You'll find yourself in Psalm 1-1 taking your cues from the wrong place. To walk in the counsel of the wicked is to accept the counsel of the world. Do you think, does it seem or does it not seem bigoted to you to oppose gay marriage? Well, if you accept the spirit of the age, not only will you approve of gay marriage, you will demonize those who oppose it. You just hate gays. You're a homophobe. You hate these people. We need to build special legislation just for you. Hate crimes. And if you speak against people who want to get married, gay couples that want to get married, then You must be guilty of something. Well, where does that come from? That you hate somebody just because you oppose their actions. I mean, if you were to oppose bigamy, does it mean that you hate all Mormons? Or those who would think it's okay to have multiple marriage partners? I mean, Scripture teaches us to distinguish between the person and his or her actions. Now, granted, we don't do that very well sometimes. Especially some who represent Christ give voice to those who want to say that we hate anybody who does things that we think are are wrong. What a shame. But just because we oppose a particular behavior doesn't mean that we don't love the person. We, We must not despise those who have a different view of the world than we do, but we also must refuse to be swayed by a worldly logic when determining our belief system. Do not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Now, this is just one issue. And who knows? It may not be many years for it's illegal for me to say what I just said. But think of the issues, social issues, where you used to have one position and now you have a much more open liberal-minded position. I don't, I'm not talking about 
Republican versus Democrat, but you have a much more open mind about things now. And you say, well, you know, that's not... But you know in your heart that Scripture speaks against it. Walking in the counsel of the wicked will cause us... And wicked is not referring to a person who is just mean and godless and doing horrible things. Well, godless, yeah, we all are without the Lord. But he's referring to a type of thought process that a, a person embraces and, and promotes. So when you see the word wicked, you know, I mean, if you know someone who approves of gay marriage, it doesn't mean that you walk up and say, you're wicked. That's not what I'm, I'm talking about. But it is a thought process that is opposed to God. And that's how he views it. Don't let yourself be swayed by the spirit of the age. Be careful also not to stand in the way of sinners. Do not become party to the ways of the world. Look, if you're a Christian, you're swimming upstream. You're walking against the grain. It's that one of those scenes in New York City where everybody, the, the most people I have ever seen anywhere was in Chinatown in New York City. I mean, it was ridiculous. Not nearly as many people when I went to China in, in Chengdu. But... Chinatown in New York City, it was one of those, you know, if it, if it gives you problems, you'd have problems. It's just, if you've got phobias, they'll come to the front right there. But you know, it's like the whole city is walking this way, and they're walking this way, and you're walking this way, trying to avoid. It's just the way it is. Because the overwhelming majority of the world rejects the way of the Lord, and they embrace the way of the world. Society moves in a particular direction. You're going in the opposite rec direction. Do not reverse your direction just because it's easy or even if somebody can make a compelling argument. It may sound good, but if it's not God's way, it's the wrong way. And be especially in the midst of your stand against be especially careful about developing a scornful attitude. It's the most fatal of the world's attitudes. And it can exist on either side. We can have a scornful attitude as a Christian. A soft and tender heart before the Lord will serve us much better than a bitter, cynical spirit. Well, that's a negative, and that's a lot of negative. Psalm 1-1 is a strong warning, not to the world, but to those of us who worship Jesus. This is for us, brothers and sisters in Christ. This is written to us, not to the world. The protection for us is found in verse 2. Instead of the world's way, follow God's way. But His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on His law He meditates day and night. Let me ask you, in what do you find delight? or possibly in whom do you find delight? You know, I've already said that it, I don't think it's wrong in, not, in my judgment to, to be aware of the ways of the world and even, even to enjoy secular entertainment and literature. But to find your meaning, your purpose, and your delight in the ways of the world rather than the ways of God, it's fatal. It's not only wrong, it's fatal. Would you say that you delight 
in God's Word? I would guess that if we were honest, most of us would say, eh, I don't know that I'd go that far. I mean, I, I, I love it, I, but... Well, okay, while you're making up your mind, let me ask you, what kind of a priority is God's Word in your life? I mean, how much time do you spend a day? Okay, I don't delight in the Word. You know, I've interacted with several people in the last few years that have gone through genuine crises of many kind kinds. And I, I'm always encouraged when people say, you know, this issue or this crisis in my life has driven me to the Word and I have found the Lord in His Word. That's, that is so exciting and encouraging to me and I'm, I can see a level of maturity that's developing there. That's exactly the emphasis of Psalm 1. And while we can't be happy about particular circumstances that drive us to the Word, we are delighted to be driven to the Word because in the Word we find the Lord. More specifically, we find Jesus and find comfort in our trials. And we'll talk more about that in coming weeks. You know, I, I know Scripture fairly well. I, I mean, there's no doubt that some of you know more about the tabernacle or about this specific part of Scripture than I do. It's an interest of yours, and you've studied it carefully, and, and you could, you know, run circles around me. But th- as far as the big picture, I, I have a pretty good understanding of Scripture, and I've, I've thought deeply about a lot of different aspects of Scripture. And believe it or not, that almost works against me at times. Because when I go to a crisis, what, what, what's there that I don't already know is there? Now, some of you, some of my brothers and sisters in Christ, and some of you have helped me a great deal through difficulties, just reminding me of God's sovereignty and of God's love and His compassion to me. But sometimes it's like, what am I going to do? I mean, those of you who know me well know that any moment I can find a life crisis within any problem. I mean, oh, no, not this has come upon me. You know, I mean, it's just my personality. Instead of being driven to Scripture, there's a great temptation for me to find relief in distraction, like watching movies or listening to music. And I'm not talking about wicked stuff. I mean, the bad stuff, I cut it off when it comes on. You know, I just pass over it. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. But just to be distracted, just to, just to not worry about things for a while. And I do those things rather than, I can tend to do those things rather than seeking God and His Word. It's one of those things that I repented of last week that I was talking about. Repentance, it was... I, last week when I, I just got before the Lord, there were so many things in my life that I just said, God, I really hadn't thought about this, but you've brought it to my attention and, and it's wicked and I need to repent of this. And so this week I've gone back at a much deeper level, back into the Word. And what a blessing it is to be in the Word and learning stuff that I didn't know that I just got through saying I, I did. You know, thought I knew more than I did. Either that or I'm seeing it in a new way. Not only have I found wisdom, I've found Jesus. And I've found fellowship with Him in my suffering because of His suffering at the cross. 
I say, and we're going to see this again and again, that all of Scripture points to Jesus. The central point of all history is the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's where we're driven to over and over in Scripture. Nothing, one of the reasons that the world thinks the way of God is so foolish. Oh, please, please don't tell me you're one of those that think that way. You just, you can't be. I thought, I thought you were intelligent. I thought you, one of the way, reasons that the world thinks that God's way is so crazy is because of the cross of Jesus. Nothing has changed since Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And that's where God's word takes us to Jesus' cross, where we realize we got nothing. He's got everything, though, and salvation is given to those who believe that Jesus died on the, sin, on, on the cross for them, for their sins. At the cross we find salvation. Spiritual growth is in the cross, not at me bucking up and doing better. It's at the cross. I am crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ who lives in lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Sanctification, spiritual growth is at the cross. Purpose and meaning in life, and especially what Psalms are going to teach us, fellowship with God, intimacy with God, and suffering. The way of the Word the way of the Word of God is the way of the cross. And we will really embrace the way of the cross. Now think about this. When we think about going the right way as opposed to the wrong way, when we really embrace the cross, we'll look at those who oppose us with the love that Jesus had for them rather than with a defensive, arrogant spirit about what is right and what is wrong. We'll know the difference between right and wrong. And we will be compelled to speak the truth. But if it's really the cross that's informing us, we'll speak the truth in love. Well, we've spent the entire time on the first two verses. Verses 3 to 6 tell us what the consequences are of the path that we choose, whether the path of life or the path of, of sin. God's way brings blessing in life. The way of the world brings meaninglessness and judgment. Let's read the entire psalm again without comment. Just going to read Psalm 1 and let's read it out loud together. Would you read it with me? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray.
all but certainly we'll spend more time thinking about God's Word in Psalm 19 next week. But this morning, as we come to this time of reflection on the Word, the Word of God that we have heard, and the admonition to walk not in the counsel of the wicked, nor the way of sinners, nor the sit in the seat of the scornful, but rather to delight in the law of the Lord. Even though it's stated as a fact, we, we know it's an admonition to us. To love you, God, and we meet you in your word, and we hear from you, and we know your ways that are righteous and just and need to be articulated and defended by us, but to be done so in love. And God, I confess how difficult that is to do. It's difficult for all of us. So Lord, um, we pray that you would open our hearts. And for those hearing the word this morning, May the Spirit of God impress upon every one of us not only the need, but the great benefit, the great happiness that will be ours if we delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on Your Word day and night. Lord, if there are those who have wandered into our service this morning and who have been counting on standing before you and you being pleased based on the good things that they have done in this life. God, bring us all back to the cross where we're sinful, helpless and hopeless individuals apart from the grace of God. Jesus did not die to be our example. He died taking our sin upon Himself, standing in the way of God's judgment that was destined for us until you changed everything, Father. And may they repent of their sins and trust Jesus. Just say, Lord, I'm a sinner. And I'm sorry for my sins, but I believe that Jesus died for me. That He took my place. And my only hope of heaven is in Him. And with Your help, I trust Him right now to be my Savior. Father, oh, wouldn't it be great for this to be the day that you become Father to some who are here. Lord, for those of us who know you, we are tempted so much to to want to get along, to want to be acceptable, to be accepted by the world, and so we tend to adopt their ways of thinking. And there are ways of 
dealing with others and doing business. Father, may it not be missed at all our need to separate person from behavior so that we don't condemn sinners who are no more worthy of condemnation than we are apart from Jesus. But that we do stand for that which is right. Give us wisdom that is found only in your word. We love you. We look forward to you, Father, coming to us in our troubles and our trials in the Psalms. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together for the benediction.